Theology Doesn't Suck. I am Josh Patterson, and with me, as always, is... Andy Herman. Nice to meet you. Glad you're here. Ready to boogie, etc. Yeah, right on. Hey, so Andy, what? Uh, I noticed there's something glistening in your hand there. What, oh, uh, yeah. what might that be? It's oh, it's a Pabst Blue Ribbon, Josh, the finest <laughs> beer in all of the land, obviously. Dude, of, um, of course it is, man. I'd expect yeah. nothing less from Andy but uh, a Pabst thank Blue you. Ribbon. <laughs> thank you, I appreciate I, that. Mine here is a this is a Hefeweizen by a company called Funky Buddha. They're right that's here in South one, Florida. That's the one you mentioned right before that uh, was partnering up with the Florida Panthers and all that oh yeah exactly right exactly right so this is this is my favorite by them it's just a nice like it's called the floridian so it makes sense but it's a hefeweizen it's a wheat beer it's, it's pretty good um i enjoy right. it especially on like a hot well, day on the beach in you know sunny south florida pretty cool i w- i wouldn't know about that because i live in the <laughs> desert yeah it's actually been desert. pretty it's actually been pretty cold here lately in new mexico uh like what is know, what is pretty cold to you well last week it was dropping i think if I remember correctly, I think it was dropping into like the 30s or 40s last week. Oh wow! Um, yeah, we don't have that here. We get into like this the 70s, <laughs> and people get out like yeah. winter jackets, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> that that is oh, pretty man. funny, actually. Um, yeah, we it was it's been cold here, but then this week it's warmed up a little, but it's been raining, so that's oh, been bummer. You know, it's been okay. Um, I like I like yeah, rain though. It's fun. a nice it's a nice change up. Oh, dude, so, my favorite my favorite thing is like a nice uh, rainstorm at bedtime because like just the ooh. like pouring rain here is like so heavy. It just it's like I don't know therapeutic. Like helps you fall asleep. It's pretty cool. I got I like you. It. Yeah, yeah. Rain, something... rain here is. Oh, go ahead. No, go for it. I was going to change subject. Go do the I, do your well, rain I was, bit. <laughs> I was just going to say that rain here is therapeutic because, uh, you know we're a desert and we're about to run out of water at pretty much any moment so it's nice <laughs> when we get rain because we're like oh we can survive for, for another day <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, for sure <laughs> yeah also oh, I, apologies to listeners i don't know if anyone can hear that but my cat is being a butt in the background making noise meow, so meow. yeah i have a i have a kitten and uh my wife isn't home right now so i can't closer out of the door otherwise she'll start meowing ferociously uh, so i have to let her roam around but she's kind of a dingus so anyway yeah, Josh, I... you were you were gonna say something <laughs> oh yeah I, well i was just gonna say like oh hey andy you know something that really grinds my gears oh what really grinds your gears josh when people blatantly indulge in uh nationalistic idolatry for example, Ooh. let me explain, and pardon me if I get irritated, because all my friends okay. who know me know this really <laughs> really bugs me. But so, somebody on my Facebook feed posted this bit, and it says, As for me and my house, we will salute the flag, stand for the national anthem, kneel before the cross, and serve the Lord. Wow. So, alright, so like right off the bat, even if the like the patriotic stuff doesn't bug you, like changing scripture to fit one's own agenda is like andy come on you can appreciate that that's just messed up <laughs> oh yeah no i agree right I agree. am that's i crazy a, that's something man that is really something <laughs> yeah but then then we're gonna go and like take all this like crazy like because in america we already have this problem where like patriotism and christianity are blended so heavily together that like 
mm. in my in my opinion it's it's not a good thing um, i think the bible is very clear about that and um i mean i don't want to stay on you know stay on it for too long but like um this just doesn't happen anywhere else and like this very american-centric christianity like this post to me is not only engaging in like some kind of nationalistic idolatry but we're also canceling out like the majority of christians in the world because according to this like these are the things that a good christian does and how we serve the lord like saluting the flag standing for the national anthem like come on you know there's people that don't do that in their country or like they're not americans and so you're just you know throwing them to the wayside but anyway we can move on because i will actually yeah. get frustrated <laughs> and I, say mean are, things i i can tell you're frustrated but <laughs> i mean I, I respect that i i agree that you know nationalism and christianity do not mix well um oh. i mean Man. yeah that no that, that's pretty crazy that's pretty ridiculous i agree that it's i agree that it's dumb it could just uh, be the crazy anabaptist side of me no, I don't think so. I think <laughs> I think a good, smart, reformed person would say that nationalism uh, is bad. Hopefully, I, that's good, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny about with the Anabaptist thing, dude. I had uh, actually a really good friend of mine. His name is Sonny. Uh, he commented on a, a picture from the podcast on Facebook and said, "The whole time I thought you were saying anti-Baptist." <laughs> and my mom, that's funny. my mom. My mom thought the same thing, so she called me like, "What is all this anti-Baptist stuff you're talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> That's great, yeah, yeah. Uh, Josh really hates Baptists. Oh yeah, so. the super anti-Baptist. <laughs> He's anti-Baptist. Yeah, uh, That's funny, man. That's really funny. Wow. Yeah, well, dude. you know, I'll actually, Josh, the <laughs> the uh, speaking of nationalism, though, that actually kind of connects to what we're going to be talking about today which as Sweet. you know is the book of revelation so we're going to get left behind yeah we're going to get <laughs> left behind it's going to be really sad and scary uh, dang it um yeah it's going to be brutal uh so josh <laughs> i think there are a lot of misconceptions out there about the book of revelation sure and it's a book that is confusing to a lot of people i know um, in my time just in the church and especially as a leader in youth ministry, uh, I've had a lot of people who that, that's like the mystical book that they really, really mm -hmm. wish they could understand. And I've had lots of students who are like, every time I ask what they want to learn about, they're like, oh, can we go through the book of Revelation? Um, <laughs> and so there's a lot of stuff like that. You know, it's interesting, actually. Uh, John Calvin is even on record as admitting that he did not understand the book of Revelation. Wow, John, John Calvin's like way smarter than me. Yeah, so. yeah, he's way smarter than both of us. <laughs> so that's scary. Um, yeah, for sure. But today we're going to outdo John Calvin. And oh, <laughs> we're going to talk about the book of Revelation. <laughs> yeah, cool. exactly. I'm excited, man. So uh, I, why don't you... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say I'm like a huge... I'm a huge fan... Uh, actually of the book of revelation my interest like you were saying was peaked in you know when i was a high schooler um and so I, i'm excited to to give this a go and and kind of see where we land with it yeah i'm excited too so uh you know we both full confession josh and i are kind of cheating here we both have spent a lot of time teaching on the book of revelation in the last 
year and a half or so. Uh, I think it's it's yeah. been a little longer for me than it has. When did you finish teaching on it, Josh? Uh, just a couple weeks ago, we did a yeah we did a, a revelation series uh, during Sunday school with the youth. I taught that. Okay, and it was really cool. But the, yeah, a couple weeks ago, two three weeks yeah. ago. So Josh finished like two or three weeks ago. I taught on it like last fall. So it's been a little longer for me. Um, but teaching, honestly, teaching through Revelation was one of the most beneficial things for me because it forced me to really study and get my mind around what Revelation was talking about. So uh, I'm excited as we dive into this discussion to hear what you have to say about what the message of the book of Revelation is, what it's really all about. Um, so to start off, uh, why don't you just go ahead and share with us a little bit of uh, what is the book of Revelation all about in your understanding? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I think a lot of times when we come to the book of Revelation, immediately things that, you know, kind of pop in our head is like uh, conspiracy theories or like the left behind books um, or things that I would call like newspaper theology where, the, you know, you see something happen somewhere in the world and you go, oh, look, I told you so. It says so in this this verse and it's connected here or kind of like a crystal ball view where people um, kind of use Revelation as like a crystal ball. And for me, yeah. I think all of those are kind of are kind of missing the point. Um, and so to me, I think the book of Revelation uh, is a beautiful book. A lot of people are very afraid of it. And I think that's under, understandable, especially with um, the kind of like how people view it or people's understandings of it uh, who maybe haven't read it, uh, just tend to have a lot of fear around it, the book of Revelation. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I think it's a very beautiful book. When Once I started reading it and I got turned on to it, um, I read a super helpful book by a guy called uh, Michael Gorman, and his book's called Reading Revelation Responsibly, um, Uncivil Worship and Witness, Following the Lamb into New Creation. And then I saw a really cool sermon series uh, by a dude I've mentioned before named Greg Boyd um, that he did many years ago uh, called Rescuing Revelation. And I actually mm-hmm. used a lot of uh, that direction to help kind of guide um, what we did with the youth. But really, I think at the heart of Revelation, it kind of shows um, the the central theme in it for me is like the, the all-giving, self-sacrificial love of God. Um, and that's kind of the lens I read Revelation through. But also, I think it's very uh, strongly a book uh, that is anti-empire, anti-worldly uh, kingdom, or maybe anti-nationalism to kind of tie it into what we were talking about a little bit earlier. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, so so you would say it's it's about the love of God kind of triumphing over empire or something to that extent? Yeah, for sure. I think that's actually a, a really great way to put it. Okay, cool. Yeah, so and I think I think like we we had kind of talked about this before, I think we would probably agree on a lot of things with the book of Revelation. Um for the record, I just want to assert once and for all to everyone here that I am not a dispensationalist. Um Andy's a uh, dispensationalist. No. That's the worst insult. <laughs> well, not maybe not the worst insult. I feel like, you know, you there's like open theist Molinist and then dispensationalist. <laughs> That's like the top three insults you could give me. Um, <laughs> All right, but I'll, I'll remember that when I need to cut yeah. you to the core. Those are the three. And he's yeah. an open theist. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, that's bad. That's bad. Um, mm. Yeah, so I I I don't believe that Revelation, like Josh was kind of talking about, gives some kind of like mystical uh, map of end time events or something like that. 
Um, but for me, I, what I would say, like, kind of the key passage in Revelation is actually kind of comes right at the beginning of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, uh, when John uh, writes down the greeting to the seven churches, and it talks about, uh, in verse, starting in verse 4, it says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. And so when I was when I was teaching through the book of Revelation, I kind of saw in those verses, there's kind of three key truths that I think frame the whole book of revelation. Um, and that's okay. that Jesus, that Jesus died for us and made us his people. So we see, you know, he has freed us from our sins by his blood. Uh, and then mm-hmm. that he has made us that he is, and then made us a kingdom and priest his God, um, to him be glory and dominion forever. So that's the second truth is that Jesus is King of everything, right? So to him be glory mm-hmm. and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then the third truth is that Jesus is coming back. And, and so behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, etc. So those kind of three truths that Jesus died for us and made us his people, uh, that he is king of everything and that he's coming back, I thought framed the book of Revelation. And so the way I, I've come to view the book of Revelation is both a, a caution and an encouragement to the church based around those yeah. three truths. And so because those three truths can be both very encouraging and very scary depending on where you're at. Like if, if, if you know that you're following Jesus and your faith is in him, then those three truths are all very encouraging that Jesus has died for you, taken away your sins, made you his people, that he's king over everything, that the one who died for you is controlling all things. And that eventually he's coming back and he's going to wipe away every tear. Like that's very encouraging. But on the other hand, uh, it's a caution to the church and to false believers specifically because uh, those three truths are also very scary because if you're a false believer, if you're professing faith in Christ that you don't actually have, then the fact that you are trampling on the blood of Christ, the fact that you are enemies with the king of everything, and the fact that that king who you are against is coming back and is going to judge you, that's all very <laughs> scary. And that should that should frighten you, right? And so um, sure. I see Revel- Revelation is basically just showing us how things are going to play out because of the truth about Jesus. And it's encouraging sure. for believers and encouragement for believers, but also kind of a warning to remind you that falling back into trusting the world, Babylon, kind of the empire, as you would put it, right. Isn't, isn't going to yeah. pan out well for you. And so, no. uh, I mean, there's a lot more within that to talk about, but that's kind of the main theme of revelation as I see it. That's kind of the core message. Okay. Yeah, no, for sure. Most definitely. I think uh, I really like that you used, um, you were quoting again from the first chapter there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mostly yeah, from so verses I, it, six and seven, I think. Yeah, so like in, in the beginning when I was teaching this, um, one thing that I really, I focused on too was the first verse, and I'll be reading from the ESV just for you. Uh, Holla, Andy. my man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure I taught from like the message or NLT or something. Oh. Just kidding. I didn't oh. do that. Um, I'm pretty sure I used the NRSV when I, when I was teaching this. Um, but it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. So, um, it kind of shows us that this, 
that this book is focused on Jesus. It's a testimony to Jesus. It's a revelation of Jesus. And so it's, you know, that's, that's kind of really important. And then uh, for me, um, hold on, sorry. Uh, For for me, one thing that I really kind of tend to focus on with this and the, I guess, kind of the interpretive uh, passage that I would use actually comes from uh, Revelation chapter 10. Um, and if you don't mind, I'll, I'll share with you really quick. Go um, for it. So I'll start with verse 1, and it says, uh, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders had said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the seat... Hold on a minute. Something's not right here. Uh-oh. I might have opened the wrong thing. I thought before you said you were going to read from Revelation 5. Yeah, you know what? You're actually right. I am. And many, many apologies. Now I feel stupid. It's 5. It happens. You're, actu- you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, so there was forgive a me, guys. Now both I- of them. <laughs> there was. And here's the cool thing. Now... They heard the word of God read aloud, which is is good for our listeners, and it's good for that us. That is good. Uh, yep. But I, yeah, I was like, "Come on, where's the point? It's not getting there." But here <laughs> we go. Like, wait a second. So starting with, <laughs> starting with verse one in five, chapter five. Uh, then okay. I saw the right, yeah, chapter five, verse one. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. This is all right. Cool. A scroll written with and on uh, the back, sealed with seven seals. So right away we see the number seven. Uh, we know that's you know the number for god so this is a holy scroll and uh i would i would say that this is a scroll that will tell us about the character of god what god is like and then i saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it and i began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll scroll or look into it And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, now this is important. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Okay, so now we have this image of a lion. And then, but here, listen what happens. When he looks and it says, in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And so for me... What this is saying is first we get this this mighty this image of the lion. The lion can mm-hmm. open the scroll. But when he yeah. actually looks up to see that lion, it's the lamb. And it's the lamb uh that was slain. And so for me, um this is referencing that, you know, Jesus uh and his um his act is the lamb, the lamb that was slain, uh is what is is used to be able to open the scroll to show us what God's true character is like. And I touched on that in, you know, in the, in the Bible episode that we did, that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. And so for me, uh, you know, the image of the lamb that was slain, the self sacrificial, you know, all giving love of God is the interpretive key that I use to kind of my lens, my spectacles, whatever that I use to look, uh, look at the book of revelation. Yeah. Well, I think I would largely agree with you there that it's talking about, I think it's once again, pointing us to the reality of Christ's sacrifice for us. Um, yeah. But then after that, showing that even though Christ sacrificed himself as a weak lamb, that he is king over everything. Because right after that, you know, they, the the heavens break out in praise, right? And it says, 
Worthy are yeah. you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then after that, you know, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So that passage, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful illustration of how Jesus came in, in weakness and meekness and sacrificed himself. Yeah. Uh, but, but now has been, has ascended to his rightful place as king over everything. And, uh, and so I think, I think we'd largely agree, but it's pointing to those realities about Jesus as a way of encouraging believers Right, the Lamb who mm-hmm. gave Himself for us is the one who is worthy to receive all power and honor and glory, and who rules over all things. You know, and and at the same time, once again, kind of that I, I like to stick with that encouragement and warning motif. Right, if you are against the Lamb, <laughs> then he's yeah. he's the one who has all power and honor and glory. You're in <laughs> um, <Right>. And so, <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to ask you though, Josh, is um, as we're kind of getting into this, is why do you think so many people? have such wacky understandings of revelation. I think on and now don't make fun of me, but I think really generally honestly the reason people have such wacky views is because I think that um and I and I'm going to caveat that by saying these crazy views about like left behind and and that kind of stuff that is like pretty much that is very um unique to America. And I think the reason for that is because the Christian religion has been co-opted so much by American politics and nationalism and patriotism that, like, we can't separate the two. We really have a hard time separating the two. And so we read these things into the book of Revelation that aren't there because we've been so uh, co-opted by this, like, America first, you know, America is God's shining city on the hill kind of mindset. Um, okay. Yeah, so I, I think that's that's kind of, you know, a, a big part of it. But then also it doesn't help, uh, you know, all the movies that Hollywood has put out, you know, yeah. um, you know, like Left Behind and, and whatever. But also I think, too, I think we have a fundamental misunderstanding of um, the genre, which I would say the genre of Revelation, yeah. I'm pretty sure you would agree with me, uh, is apocalyptic literature. Yeah. And so apocalyptic literature was extremely popular you know back in back when the bible was written like people were constantly writing it and like apocalyptic literature it used imagery uh you know to to depict real life um events and also like when we think i think part of our our misunderstanding even starts with the word apocalyptic because when we hear apocalyptic we think of apocalypse right because we get the word from that and the Greek word there is apocalypto, and literally all it means is revelation. Like yeah, the word it means a pulling back, right? Like revealing. Yeah, yeah, the yeah the epitomology has has zero to do with like when you say apocalypse, people think like aliens attacking or fire and you know dragons right. and violence and craziness, end of the world. But, like that has nothing to do <laughs> with yeah, the word. One- Oh, I was I was gonna say one thing too that I, one way that I've heard the apocalypse genre explained really well. I I didn't come up with this. I read it in a book at some point in time, um, but it's it's using vivid imagery to depict heavenly realities. Okay. And so and so like kind of like we would I think you would agree with me here is you know we don't we we would agree that Revelation is not depicting actual events that are going to occur on a timeline at the end of the world. 
Correct. Um, right. Agree. And so what, what, what I think John is doing here, what Jesus is doing with this revelation to John is that this whole book really is using all this imagery to get across a point about the reality of Christ. Right. And so it's, it's displaying heavenry, heaven, heavenry. <laughs> I can't talk. <laughs> Nerd. Heaven, Nerd. Heavenly. <laughs> it's displaying heavenly realities with earthly imagery in a way, in yeah. a way to reveal them. Right. And so all this crazy imagery, you know, it's not the locusts in revelation are not Apache helicopters, you know? Right. Are you sure? It's not, it's not, it's not like a, <laughs> a lot of times people try to read it as like a one for one correspondence. Like, okay, right. This detail corresponds to this event. This de- detail corresponds to this event. But really what the whole genre is about is depicting a larger truth, right? Casting reality sure. in light of the truth about Christ. And so it's important for us to keep that in mind as we read it, because if you read Revelation, like it's a blueprint, like every single image corresponds to every corresponds to a specific detail of our time now, then you're going to come up with some really odd stuff. Oh, very much so. And I think we can I mean, we see that played out like people have yeah. come up with really weird stuff. <laughs> and I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like I, I really like, uh, you know, how you're talking about it there. Um like, I think that's right on that. It, like, it uses, you know, dramatic and surreal imagery. Um, I would just add to depict historical events and spiritual realities. So, like, heaven realities, spiritual realities. Um, but I think it's important to point out that they're specifically depicting historical events um, so that actually happened. I would be curious just to have you elaborate on that a little bit. When you say it's depicting okay. historical events, could you could you give me an example? I'm trying to wrap my mind around what you're meaning by that. Okay, so like, um, for example, there is a painting uh, by a gentleman named Pablo Picasso. I'm pretty sure yep. you know a lot of you know who that is. Um, and I, to anybody who speaks German, is from German heritage, I apologize. I'm going to butcher <laughs> the name of this painting so bad. Uh, it's like Guernica, Guernica, something like that. Uh, for those of you who are interested, I'd really encourage you to look it up. It's spelled... G-U-E-R-N-I-C-A. And this is a painting, you know, that Pablo Picasso did. And what he was doing was he was depicting a town, that's what Guernica Guernica is, uh, that was bombed by the Nazis. And if you look at his painting, it is very surreal. I mean, it's a Pablo Picasso painting. So it, it makes absolutely no sense. Like, I mean, there's like some weird animal looking things in it there's like weird arms everywhere and like people in different spots there's like a weird light bulb eyeball thing like weird like ghostly kind of head things floating around so nobody would ever guess that this is a painting of that bombing um yeah but what picasso is doing is he created a piece of artwork that was intended to impact people it was intended for you to look at it and like take it in and it makes you feel a certain kind of way um like that that's what he was doing and so if he wanted to take a photograph if he wanted to take a photograph of the town he could have but instead he chose to do this painting which is depicting a historical event but it's very surreal and so when we start looking at that painting and say oh well like is this guy on the right, is he related to the girl that's over here on the left? Or what does this bull mean something? Or is this like, how old is this girl that's over here? Or like, what is this guy's name? How old do you think that horse looking thing is? What is the light bulb? 
when you start doing that, you're actually missing the point of the painting. You're not letting it do what it was created to do, which is to be a graphical, a graphic and powerful image that's intended to, to impact you and, and make a change um, inside of you. Yeah. So, like so I, does that make sense? So when you're, yeah, I know that makes a lot of sense. And I honestly think, I think that painting illustration is a great illustration of go look it up, <laughs> interpreting the book of revelation. Um, but what I wanted to clarify, I guess, is when you, cause when you said historical events in my mind, okay. that makes me, that makes me think of like, okay. So you're saying that as we read through the book of revelation, everything that's happening in the book correlates to some specific historical event. And I don't think that's okay. what you're saying. No. Um, so, so I guess for me, and I, it'll probably make sense differently to different people, but for me, I guess maybe a different way I would put what I think you're saying is that revelation is connected to facts about reality. Yes. Um, it's not just, you know, it's not just made up or completely out of nowhere. It's connected to truths. It's connected to true things, to facts about reality. And it is tied to history. Um, yeah. But it's not structured I mean, I in it's... such a way. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I think, I mean, at least in my mind, it's very obvious that it's, you know, tied to history because it's literally written to seven churches that actually existed. Yeah. It's like, hey, here's the seven churches that I'm writing to. And like, here are the things, um, you know, that are are about to take place. And and one thing, this might be a little off topic, but I like to emphasize this just to kind of make uh, my point about the book of Revelation. It literally says the things that are soon to take place. And so when John was writing... He didn't mean soon as in 2,000 years from now. He meant like, hey, bro, this is about to happen. <laughs> yeah. And so, so like he's speaking about something that is that is is historical. It's real to him. Like they the you know, these people are in a time when the Roman government is over them. It is oppressive. It is violent. People are being martyred and killed for their faith. And so yeah. John, in my mind, John is writing subversive apocalyptic literature about the Roman Empire calling them out but he's doing it in a way that uh fellow believers would understand you know with the imagery but that if Mm -hmm. the roman soldiers were to get a hold of it they wouldn't be like oh hey great i can you know this says rome sucks Um, i'm gonna kill you it just looked weird to them and i would want to build upon that a little bit because and i don't know maybe i'd I'd be interested to hear your response once i once i say this because we might differ on this a little but when you say subversive literature, I would agree in the sense that I think one of the main points in Revelation, you know, is to contrast the rule of Christ with the rule of the empire. And so it's it's showing believers that even though the empire seems to be in control now and seems to be pers- is is persecuting them and is harming them, that Christ's rule will ultimately overcome that empire. Um, so I, I agree that it's subversive in that sense. I would say what this is where we might disagree. I don't think it's subversive in the sense that it's necessarily encouraging rebellion against the empire or something like that i think it's more encouraging faithful endurance um through the tribulation and and i also i would also want to say that uh i think while this is specifically written you know in a time and place for believers uh for those seven churches i think it also applies to us in the sense that i believe that uh this cycle of kind of empire and of christians having to endure through the world applies through all times and so this imagery of babylon and of the empire 
and and of all this and the message of revelation of of the rule of christ and and that he's coming back you know all that i think applies just as much to us today as it does as it did to the believers to whom it was originally written yeah no for sure i i think that's true that's um that's a really good way of putting it and like for me um when i talk about being subversive to empire um what i mean by that is and i mentioned i'm passionate about this uh, as Christians, I believe we're a part of the kingdom of God. And I don't yeah. think that when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, he meant someplace we get to go and we die. I think yeah. it's very clear that Jesus was talking about a reality that once you know we have our salvation, we're called into this thing called the kingdom of God. And when mm-hmm. we start living, you know, when we start living our lives according to the way of Christ, according to the way of Jesus, we're living into that kingdom. And uh, we're building the kingdom of God right here on earth as in heaven. And so it's kind of like the kingdom of God starts inside of, you know, uh, well, it starts with Jesus, first off. But when we have the Holy Spirit and when we have a relationship with Christ and we're being changed uh, to be like him and we start making intentional decisions and choices to live like Christ, then we are bringing aspects of the kingdom of God to earth right now. And so the Bible uses the language of like, yeast in bread and like when you know you put a little bit of yeast in there it starts to permeate and and it goes out throughout you know all of the bread so as christians uh that's what we're called to do to be like the yeast um in bread that is you know the world and we're kind of like spreading the kingdom of god slowly uh yeah you know as christians and i think where i get into the issue with empire when i say subversive to empire i think in my mind there can never be such thing as this, you know, Christian nation because yeah. all all earthly empires are ran by power, force, and coercion, all by the sword, all by threat of violence. Like, think about it. If you do something bad, and, you go to jail. If, if we don't like you, we bomb you. And Jesus doesn't operate that way. And I'm, So the kingdom of God ag- operates as, you know, from under people, serving people. So that's I what I mean agree- by, by subversive. I do agree with you to Sorry. an extent, too. What? No, you're good. I wanted to one thing I wanted to throw in about that the earthly power thing is I do agree with you to an extent, right? That we are part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is obviously distinct from the kingdoms of the world. Um I would totally agree with you there. Um I would be interested to hear and maybe this would be taking us on a little bit of a rabbit trail, but uh how That's you okay. would view I I'm sure you've gotten this question many times before, but like passages like Romans 13 where it talks about earthly authority being ordained by God and so um I'm hesitant, I don't know, I'm more hesitant to draw the line, say, all earthly power, all, you know, all earthly government, things like that are completely evil. I agree that the kingdom of God is distinct from them. Yeah. Um, But I, I would hesitate to say that they're completely evil in the sense that, you know, scripture does teach us that God has ordained them for our good. Sure. Yeah, so I think, uh, to me, um, and I'm going to kind of be hip firing here, that is a really good question. It's when I think about um, you know, quite often. Uh, but I think to me, uh, there has to be, you know, some form of, of organization and control on earth. It just has to happen. Otherwise things are in complete chaos. And so Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, that God is a God of order so that I think in my mind, it's almost like, uh, this idea of, of earthly empires that are, are here to kind of, I mean, they don't do this, but keep the peace, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's, I don't know, man. It, it's kind of like a temporary thing. I genuinely, hear me out on this, I struggle with that. 
Um, yeah. Like there have been multiple multiple times when I have um, tried to humble myself and pray for our president, whether that be you know Barack Obama when he was president or you know President Trump now. Um, because I I mean obviously I live in this country. I don't want those people to fail, you know, because yeah. it could affect you know so many people. And I think that's why yeah. we should pray for them. But I think the issue is we get. I think where the problem lies is when we start to put our faith, our hope, and our trust in empire. Yeah. Because that's what happens. We get so involved in politics. We get so involved in, I'm a Republican, or I'm a Democrat, or you have to vote for Trump, or you have to vote for Hillary, or Barack Obama, or whoever. And then whenever our person loses, or does something we don't like, or, uh, you know, whatever, we're like, oh, crap, like, now what? And so the problem is we're putting our faith, our hope, our trust in empire when empire is always going to fail us. And so I, I mean, I think I'm right in, in my stance of, you know, I disengage from empire as much as possible. I mean, I'm often, I'm, I'm often accused of hating this country, which I, in my mind is stupid. Like I am blessed to live here. Um, You know, we couldn't have this podcast, you know, in some countries, um, yeah. Or I couldn't be talking crap about the government right now without being <laughs> killed. <laughs> yeah. So like those are all things that I appreciate. But the kingdom of God is so much more important to me. And when we start putting borders around ourselves, they're saying things which is said all the time. You have to be a Republican to be a good Christian or you have to vote for this president because he's pro-choice or whatever it is, whatever we identify with our politics. We are then pushing out so many people it is divisive yeah i mean just look and at I, the way politics is, has divided our church i agree with you to an extent too i i think we might differ a little in how christians should engage politically um sure but i would say you know one of the strong themes throughout the book of revelation like you just can't deny it is that the kingdom of god and the kingdom of the world are opposed right the lordship of christ very much so and and the reign of you know babylon the earthly empire are are opposed to one another and ultimately christ's kingdom is going to win and you can't be aligned with both of them you can't be aligned with both babylon and with christ you can only be aligned with one and if you're aligned with babylon you're going to be on the losing side Um, (laughs) but i would i would also i would hesitate a couple couple things to add to that though i would i would hesitate to identify babylon in revelation specifically with government itself okay Um, i think a lot of times when we talk about you know the world or evil empires or things like that in the new testament we're talking about i think maybe it was in that kingdom conspiracy book that we talked about last time actually (laughs) said it but like the world in the bible is structured unbelief yeah right and so i think babylon can at times be closely allied with specifically government but I think it's more than just like government that makes up the the world that makes up Babylon in the book of yeah. Revelation. Um, it's sure. structured opposition to God. Um, and I do think there is a warning in Revelation for folks like myself, for reformed folks, uh, especially those in kind of the Kyperian tradition. I might have mispronounced that now that I think about it. I've only heard his name ever. Or I've only seen his name written, not read, but Abraham Kuyper you know yeah that's a big word can you yeah can you like just for our our viewers our viewers our listeners can you (laughs) like just explain that a little bit yeah so for for abraham kuyper was a was a dutch reformed theologian uh who his big legacy is talking about how the lordship of christ touches every aspect of life and so he was really big 
on Christian engagement in every sphere, in government, in education, in the arts, and you know, in everything. And I, I do appreciate that legacy. I think it has a lot of good to offer us as Christians. And so, um, as a Reformed Christian who, I don't know if I stand, maybe pure Kyperians would say I don't stand perfectly within his tradition, um, but I do appreciate a lot of what he's brought to the table at least. Uh, I do think there's a warning for us in Revelation of not being so sold on uh, kind of our ability to um, work in the world and make the world a better place and, you know, assert the lordship of Christ that we end up identifying ourselves with the wrong kingdom. Right. Or 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 confusing yeah. the kingdom of Babylon and the kingdom of God. Right. Yeah, I think that I think that's an important distinction, um, especially because I just think it's so counterintuitive to try to force people to be Christians by the sword, which honestly, mm-hmm. that's I mean, that's kind of what what takes place when we try to impose Christian values or beliefs or whatever. Um, yeah, through government force. And I just don't see Christ acting that way. I never well, and saw so... Jesus, you know, hold a sword to somebody and say, you have to believe in me and do these things or else you know, whatever. It's just, it's counterintuitive to me. I really struggle with that. So there is, I would say, even within that kind of reform tradition, there is definitely not, I mean, Kuiper was very much a, a proponent of religious freedom and things like that. Oh yeah. Um. So it's not, it's not, but I, I, and I see your point too, that when you start instituting, trying to make the government Christian, bad things follow. And I agree with that Um. to some degree, although I'm still wrestling with a lot of those issues. This is actually something that I'm really struggling through right now. Uh, me too but (laughs) uh you know i've i've drifted back and forth a lot i've at one point i was almost sure i was going to call myself a theonomist which means one who believes that the old testament law should be applied to the government today not not so sold on that now um but i'm not sure where i land on all that stuff now i'm not trying i'm not i'm I'm not trying to get stoned (laughs) yeah i i'm not sure where i land on a lot of that stuff now honestly um i'm still wrestling through a lot of it thinking about a lot of it but uh I honestly forget where I was going. I was going to say something in response to something you said. Oh, I remember now. Okay. It's okay. Um, you you said I, one thing I would want to maybe not even push back on, but just throw in there is that, you know, you talk about how Jesus acts. And I, I would want to make sure we also remember, though, there is the heavy imagery of judgment, too. So while Jesus mm-hmm. is merciful and meek, at the same time, you know, there's heavy imagery and a heavy reminder all throughout Revelation that those who are opposed to Christ will be judged and punished. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think, yeah, go ahead. That, Oh, I was going to say, I think that's a really interesting thing because I think um, you and I would agree with the fact that clearly there's very heavy imagery of, of judgment uh, in the book of revelation. But I, I can almost guarantee that the way you and I would talk about judgment uh, might be a little bit different. And so yeah. I, I mean, if you don't mind, can I kind of express like a, like kind of how I would talk about judgment very quickly, and then maybe you Go could do it. the same. Um, so when I when I think about the wrath of God or the judgment of God, um, for me, I don't see it as uh, people do bad stuff. So now God is like this dude up in the clouds that's going to you know hit you with a stick because you were bad, and that's the wrath of God. Um, a really cool like metaphor or image that I like to use is um, imagine there's like a fish swimming in in the lake, and the fish jumps out of the lake and lands on a pier. The fish is ultimately going to die because it has just taken itself out of the context that it was created to live in. So if a fisherman yeah. were to come along, it wouldn't need to beat it with a stick. It's going to die 
you know, by itself because of natural consequences. And so when I think of the wrath of God or the judgment of God, kind of the way I talk about that is the natural um, consequences of our sin. Like when we're constantly, you know, go, stepping away from the source of life, you know, God is the source of life. If we turn and run from the source of life, we are going to die. That is a natural consequence. That is not something that God has to enact on us. And so when I think yeah. about judgment, I think about it very similarly. God gives us these warnings and he tells us like, look, I made you. I love you. I know how you're supposed to function. If you don't do these things, this is going to happen because you, like the fish, are stepping out of the environment, the context, the way of life that I created you for. And so when I think of judgment, that's what I think of. So I think it's a warning to people like, hey, when you're not living um, – you know, in my way, when you're not doing these things, violence is just going to take care of itself. People that are violent are just going to kill each other and they are going to die. And that is a natural consequence. I don't, and I, we can call that the wrath of God or the judgment of God, but I think in my mind, it's more so natural consequences of our sin that God warns us of like, bro, this is going to happen if you don't listen kind of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I would disagree with you a little. I mean, I see I do agree that there are natural consequences consequences to sin and those cause sure. negative things. Um, but I, I do think, and we could have a conversation about judgment now. Like, does God send judgment now? How does he do it? Um, but um. especially when we're, <laughs> when we're talking about, when we're talking about the last judgment, like what revelation is talking about. Um, yeah. I don't see, I don't see what revelation is talking about there, especially um as just just natural consequences or some people like to call it separation from god um right i do i do agree in a sense you're separated from god but i think it's more than that i think there's active punishment going on so um there's if you don't mind i'm going to read a little bit from chapter 20 uh drop it like it's hot in revelation chapter 20 right it says (laughs) then i saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire and so when i see that i see active judgment going on i see god sure intentionally punishing people who are who are against him right who are not found in the book of life and so when and and the lake of fire you know when that's described it's not described as i think there's another section that talks about a little more i might be mistaken um but it, it doesn't strike me as just like oh you're you don't get to be in heaven. It's it's not, oh, you don't get the good stuff. It's, oh, you're being actively punished for being against God. Um, right. And so so I, I, I think that's important to distinguish because I think actually it, it relates directly to the character of God, right? If God's perfectly just, he doesn't ignore sin. He actually punishes wrongdoing. He actually punishes iniquity. And sure. so I think that's that's part of the character of God. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting, man. I... Um, I'd be interested to see like what what is your view like when he's talking about a lake of fire there? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just out of interest, do you like to you is that like a literal lake of fire? Um, like what? I'm not I mean, necessarily. I know it's, a, it's a little bit of a rabbit rabbit trail, but I'm I'm just interested. Yeah. 
I'm not necessarily sold on whether or not it's like a literal lake of fire or not. I just sure. I think the important concept there is that there's intentional active punishment, right, for those I've, whose names are not found in the Book of Life. Yeah, I think, and I think that's fair. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think. I think, kind of like with, and I mean this, you know, starts getting into like the topic of hell and stuff like that. Uh, but I think for me, something that, um, like, I think that, I mean, I think, you know, hell, whatever that is, I think it is very much a real thing. And I think Jesus yeah. warned about it. I think the Bible warns about it. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm not completely sold on like, a, um, I'm definitely not sold on like a literal, like fiery torture chamber, but I'm not, I don't know if I'd call myself like an annihilationist or, you know, anything like that either. But I think like yeah. this idea of, of hell is almost like, um like it's almost like god is when when there are people that have chosen to be a part of the kingdom of god and are in god's kingdom now in heaven you know heaven and earth have been restored they're reunited um it's great these are the people that that want to be with god that are worshiping god with their lives um i think god then has to protect that from those who uh want to do harm to that so I think there has to be some some kind of protection from God, and I think that has to be an act of judgment that God says, "Wait a minute, you're not bringing a benefit to this kingdom, the kingdom of God. You're going to cause harm here. You have to stay outside of it." And well, um, and I think does that make sense? No, and I I would agree to some degree. I think it, a lot of it has to do with kind of the restoration. If we're looking at the mm-hmm. grand story arc of the Bible, right? God is by redeeming us in Christ. Ultimately, what God is bringing about is the restoration of the what the created order was intended to be and so a return to the garden of eden right that can't exist without the removal um from earth of yes you know sin and 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 evil and so interestingly enough i think part of this created order is i i'm not an annihilationist i think part of this return to the to perfection um is is punishment of sin eternally because I think that God's sure. justice is perfect too, as dark as that might sound. Um, <laughs> but no, it makes but sense. obviously, and, and when we connect it to, and we connect it to the atonement, right? If, if sin didn't need to be actively punished, then why would Jesus need to atone for our sins? Right. Right. If, if sin, if sin, if it was just out natural consequences, then I think the remedy would just be to get us to stop sinning. Right. Um, no, yeah, I feel you, man. for our sins. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, um, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, so I don't remember how we got on this rabbit trail of, of judgment and everything like that, but I I, I kind of wanted to wrap this up. We're kind of reaching our time limit, I think. I, I, I was hoping we could wrap this up by maybe each of us could share a little bit. What's kind of the practical message we have for people who are listening to this? Okay. Um, what's the what's the practical implication of what we've been talking about, about the book of revelation? Okay, sure. And like, uh, before I do that, I just, I want to say like too that this, I mean, there is zero, I don't think there's ever one podcast that can cover the book of revelation. Oh no. (laughs) So I think we just kind of scratched the surface a little bit and maybe got people at least interested in like, Hey, let's, you know, go check this out. Let's, you know, go read some material on it. Um, but for me, um, uh, I mean, for me an obvious practical thing would be and i'm still i personally am still trying to work this out with the warnings of you know against empire in the book of revelation how do i play that out as a christian how do i best live that out how do i best live out my citizenship in the kingdom of god 
um, while I'm still living here for, you know, and uh, for me and you in our culture in America. Um, but, you know, maybe we have, you know, listeners somewhere else. But how do you live in your current place in the kingdom of God and like yeah. explore that? Go figure that out. And I think for me, I like to use the term like a resident alien. Um, I didn't create that, but that that's a cool thing. Uh, but also, yeah. I just think like one thing I just want to I want to quote because I think it's so beautiful. And, and maybe this is a verse from Revelation people know, but it comes from 21. And I think it just it paints such a beautiful picture of the ultimate reality for us, which is and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first oh. heaven. And the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And so I would just say that the book mm. of Revelation points to this ultimate reality of God restoring heaven and earth back together, you know, the way that they were um, originally intended to be, kind of like you were saying, where where God dwells with us. You know, the book of Isaiah mm. says that, uh, God's presence will will dwell with us like waters fill the sea, like that's such yeah. beautiful imagery of a restored, um, completely perfect relationship with God and His beautiful creation. And so I hold on to that and look forward to that as me actively trying to live out the kingdom of God here and now, as a way that I can be a signpost pointing towards that ultimate reality. I think as Christians. We're called to point people towards that ultimate reality and and invite them to be a part of that. And that's what happens. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, when, when we have a relationship with Christ and we start living out those kingdom realities. So I think for me, the takeaway would be one, the, the subversion of empire, but two, more so living out the kingdom of God here and now to be a signpost pointing towards that that ultimate reality. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think we'd agree on a lot of that. I I love that passage that you read. That's like one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Oh, um, me too. Beautiful. But I think I think for me, what the takeaways I would want to point to for anyone, um, first of all, I'd encourage you to go read Revelation for yourself. Uh, because yes, do it and and don't be afraid of it. Um, but but when you're look when you're reading through revelation look for these things look for what it's pointing to about christ look for what it's teaching us about the reality of this present kingdom this present world and christ and his reign and so i would i would say it points to first of all um the fact that we need to be careful we need to be careful not to lose our first love not to become content mm-hmm. with the kingdom of this world not to get too comfortable mm-hmm. um and it warns us a lot about that so that's one takeaway from revelation that we really need to we need really need to mind don't become too comfortable in this world especially for those of us in america because it's really easy to become comfortable and to this align ourselves yeah <laughs> It's really easy to align ourselves with the kingdom of the world uh, without thinking about it much because that's just our natural mm-hmm. tendency. Um, so mm-hmm. take that warning seriously. Uh, but also, if your faith is in Christ, above all else, I think revelation should be a huge encouragement for you uh, because yes. it's pointing to realities about Jesus uh, that sustain us, right? That Jesus died for us and made us his people. That means we're his. That means nothing can take that away. That Jesus is king over everything. That means the one who died for us the one who loves you that much, the one who cares for you that much, 
is sovereignly ruling over all things. He's in control of everything. So even when it seems like the world is winning, it's not because he's in control. Um, that's mm-hmm. really important. And then, and then finally, you know, his return, his restoring of the new heaven and the new earth. I think that's just a hope that we all have. Um, and that, that passage that you read, Josh, from, from that end of revelation is, is a passage that has sustained me when I've just felt totally broken down and hopeless. Um, oh, me and, too. And so these promises about Christ, these truths about Christ that revelation conveys to us should give us hope, should give us strength, uh, when we feel absolutely weak and broken. So, I would encourage all of our listeners to go read Revelation and look at it kind of through those lenses. Yeah, for sure. And then also too, if you um if you kind of want to, I mean, I have some. I don't know if you have any, Andy, but some helpful resources that uh you know were thought provoking for me or or really helped shape me. Again, was that book that I read called Reading Revelation Responsibly by Michael J. Gorman. I would highly recommend that book. And then also um. If you want kind of more of like, a, a, I don't know, some of the perspective I was kind of talking about, uh, go check out uh, the sermon series called Rescuing Revelation uh, that Greg Boyd did uh, a couple years ago at his church. I think uh, that could be really helpful for people, uh, whether you agree or not. I think it's just it helps get us thinking. Yeah, and I I can't think of some of the stuff that I studied off the top of my head last year, but uh I will try. Here's what we'll do. I will try to in the show notes. So in the description oh, and all that, I'll try to post links. So I'll post links to the stuff you mentioned, and okay. uh, hopefully I'll I'll dig up a couple of things that I mentioned as well and throw those in there, or that not that I mentioned, yeah, but that's that really I used good. in the past and uh, throw those in there. So um, look in the look in the description in the show notes if you are listening, and uh, hopefully that will be of help to you. So all right, well, Revelation, man. We definitely did not cover everything. Um, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but hopefully this was beneficial to you. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We appreciate your support. Uh, if you have questions, if you have comments, if you're angry at us, if you're really mad because you're a dispensationalist and we ragged on you too much, we still love you. Um, hopefully <laughs> you don't hate us now. Uh, feel free to send us a message. You can contact us on our website, which is theologydoesn'tsuck.com. Uh, we have an mm-hmm. Instagram now, which is at isn't it it's at it's at theology doesn't suck right Brilliant. yeah it's cool like no one has had that domain name or anything so we can just there roll you go. with it so yeah probably because it's a <laughs> does that mean it's a bad name <laughs> if no one's no used i it think before. it's just super specific um, it's a cool okay. name <laughs> yeah well good um if you want to critique our name or anything you can also find us on instagram follow <laughs> us uh we will be most responsive to contact through our website so if you're going to contact us yes we'll, we'll try to look at instagram dms but no promises there um so anyway yeah no thank you so much no being slick and trying to slide into our dms we're married we're married have some respect (laughs) (laughs) respect (laughs) so thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time